Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn here to Isaiah chapter 9, and I want to spend a minute setting up this new series. Uh, we're beginning a new four-part series that's going to lead us right into Christmas Eve, in fact, right through Christmas Eve, and this year I thought we'd do something a little bit unique and different. Um, I want to just look at one verse, Isaiah 9, 6, four times over. Four times over, we're going to look at this verse. This passage will not be at all unfamiliar to you. We've heard it in Christmas carols. It's the theme of Handel's Messiah. It's written across your Christmas cards. You can find it in the decorations of your house. And it begins something like this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's not the first time you've heard that, is it? Uh, you know, even the secular realm has probably heard that phrase, Hallmark has capitalized it. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That is like the quintessential announcement of Christmas, yeah? But I've been thinking, you know, most of us, we know about the wise men. We, we know about the angels. We've heard about the manger. This year, I want to do something a little bit different. And I want to reintroduce you to that child for the next four weeks. If with any given uh, good introduction, Isaiah begins this announcement by telling us this child's name, and that's how we're going to reintroduce ourselves to Jesus. Tell me if you've heard of this. His name shall be, we're told, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah says, I want you to meet this child who changes everything. So this year, from now till Christmas, we're going to look at these four names of Christ together, but for this morning, I want to read chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, just so that we get a little bit of context that I'll explain as we go along. So let's listen to God's word together. But now there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling warrior and battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is given, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. So let's talk about wonderful counsel this morning. In fact, no, let's first do the opposite. I want to ask you, I wonder how many of us can think of a time where we have received poor counsel from someone. This might be a painful exercise, but just, just reflect with me for a minute. What were the ramifications that came with that poor advice? Assuming you took it and, and you ran with it, what did someone else's poor counsel cost you? Can you remember a time? 
You know, our world is chock full of all kinds of pitfalls when it comes to counsel. And I want to just get us thinking, warm us up a little bit this morning. Just, just consider big tobacco for a minute. You know, at one point, cigarettes were marketed almost with like medicinal superpower. Doctors called them a stress reliever. It was said to improve digestion and help you lose weight. Soon it became a symbol of status and prosperity and wealth. I've shared with many of you before that for years, tobacco companies could really only get half the population to take up this practice. And it was primarily, of course, something that men did in their pastime. Until one day, there was a major rally for women's suffrage in New York City. And so the executives of these companies, they hired these actresses to infiltrate the crowd. And right as the press gathered around, these women pulled out freedom sticks and took their first puff. And the advice you were given was to smoke a cigarette was to take a stand. We know now that was pretty poor advice. Along the same lines, you you might remember the 1900s trend of radioactive consumables. Do you remember this? How quickly we forget. The x-ray was uh, given this this new insight for doctors, right? And it was seen as this this, this good thing, this blessing around the world. And with this infatuation of the x-ray then came commercialization of radioactive material and we were told it was good for us. And soon radium was in everything. Makeup, toothpaste, bath soap. They even had an energy drink called Radether that would give you an active and vibrant life. We know now, terrible counsel. To be human is to err, I suppose, but you know, sometimes it's not so innocent, right? Sometimes poor counsel we know is downright nefarious. In fact, the absolute worst counsel this world ever received, what was it? It was Adam and Eve, right? Walking in the garden with the Lord. Look at this. Look at this in Genesis 3. All was well until the enemy showed up. You'll remember this story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we can eat of the tree of the, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Take a bite. And so she takes the fruit, she gives it to the man, they feasted. And still to this day, across the world, the decision to heed that wrong voice has wrought havoc and destruction. See, and the challenge is, right, we know that to live this life well, at some point or another, we all have to rely on some kind of counsel. We have to. A, a mentor, a coach, a financial planner, a therapist, a mechanic, a doctor, a friend. This is the way the world turns. But the question is then, how do we get counsel that offers us education and benefit rather than destruction and downfall? How do you know? How do you parse that out? And Isaiah wants you to meet this Christ child. And it's interesting to me, of all the names of Jesus, the first one he gives us is wonderful counselor. In fact, there's a robust debate among, uh, among scholars about the gra- grammatical aspects of all of this long name that we're going to look at together over the next few weeks. But for our time this morning, you should know in the Hebrew, both the words wonderful and counselor are really best understood as two nouns. 
It's not that we have a counselor who's described to us as wonderful, but it is for all practical purposes that his name is wonderful and his name is counselor. And when you begin to understand that what Isaiah really means by these names, you get a whole new picture of what it is to have a child with these names lying in a manger for us. In fact, much of what I'm about to give you comes from professor of biblical counseling. His name is George Scipione from Westminster Theological Journal. You want to get nerdy with me, you can Google that this week. But if you want to know how to parse out the good versus poor counsel in your life, we should start with the wonderful one, yeah? Let's just think about what wonderful means. When I say to you, yesterday was a wonderful day, what description does that give you? If I were to say it was a, a wonderful afternoon, what do you picture? You probably picture a gorgeous sunrise. Maybe you picture a, a beautiful ski outing with fresh powder. Picture, picture those bobcats winning one. No, but it's, it's not quite what Isaiah meant when he called Jesus wonderful. Years ago, I visited what they call one of the new wonders of the world, this place called Petra. Petra is located outside of Amman, Jordan, and it's the ruins of these people called the Nabataeans. The Nabataeans spent decades carving out their homes and their tombs and their temple from this rock. It is miles of this city burrowed into cliff walls. But as we got off the bus and we were walking through about a mile of this narrow canyon in the desert, I remember thinking like, I'm going to see something kind of like Native American ruins in, in, in Colorado where I grew up. But as we got around this bend, there was this crack in the canyon. We were in the shadows. The sun was shining out on this, on this, this lifestyle, this life-size sandcastle that was just glowing. And I remember you could just begin to picture this like 10-story building made thousands of years ago. And I began to weep. It was such a spectacle. It was so incredible to think of people doing this with, with rudimentary tools. But hear me out. Just take that idea of wonderful. Take the most wonderful thing you've experienced in this life and just toss it. That's not what Isaiah means. He's not referencing a, a beautiful day or an awe-inspiring moment. In today's context, we've really watered that, that word wonderful down so much, we don't even understand it in its full form. And we're gonna do a couple of uh, three points this morning. The first one I want you to see is that for Isaiah, wonderful meant these three things. Number one, it was used to describe something spectacular. Again, don't think old faithful here. Think unexplainable miracle, like the great flood or Jesus calling the mute to speak, the lame to walk, the blind to see. That is wonder. That's how wonder was used throughout the scriptures. It was attached to miracles. It was this marvel beyond comprehension. Which brings me to the second way that we might better understand this word. And that is to say that something is wonderful was to describe something mysterious or entirely sacred. As one scholar pointed out, he said, it both expresses and hides the incomprehensible. Now just think about that. This, this, this one blows my mind. Think about Jesus Christ in the manger, both expresses and hides the incomprehensible. In the book of Judges 13, Samson's father Manoah is visited by this angel of the Lord and he knows he's surrounded by the divine, right? He's experiencing this intense manifestation of God's presence. And he asks this angel, he says, what is your name? 
And the angel responds to him, why do you ask my name seeing that it's wonderful? It's beyond your comprehension. You can't fully grasp this moment. Which really brings us to our third point, and that is to be wonderful is to be separate from common things. Just picture creation for a minute. Let's go back to Genesis. How is it that God takes nothing and from it made everything? You ever thought about that? Like if I were to say to you, make me a sculpture, I'm sure the first question you would say to me is, well, what medium would you like me to use? Should I use clay or metal? I'm going to use wood. Think about this. I say to you, no, I want you to do it with nothing. Now that's wonderful, right? I mean, if we could have been there to observe the Lord setting the cosmos into space, causing sun to shine for the first time, causing the rain to fall, sitting with Adam as he named the animals, that overwhelming spectacle, that would be wonder. See, and for Isaiah, he says, this child, wonderful in creation, has now come in the wonder of our redemption. Just let your mind be blown by that for a minute. Now, in a world filled with pitfalls of terrible advice and awful counsel, he's the wonderful one. Which then leads us to the second name that we see in Jesus, and that he's not just our wonderful one, he's the wonderful counselor. You know, I don't have to tell you, we live in an epidemic of mental health. We are a culture that is desperate for good counsel. The sound bites of social media only get us so far. It's a dry and weary land. Just, just consider, since the pandemic, which this was kind of crazy to me as I researched this this week, which is now four years behind us, mental health is now the mental, or, or the the, the, the medical order of our day. This is what I found this week. Depressive disorders have moved from 193 million to 246 million nationwide. That's a 28% increase. Anxiety disorders have grown 298 million to 374 million nationwide. That's a 25% increase. But get this, here's the crazy part. One study just found that out of 350 people who are in need of care, there's only one professional available. How do you find good counsel in that kind of a world? See, and as a nation, what I'm trying to see is, is we are in desperate need, right? And hear me out. Quick disclaimer before I make my next point. I don't want to reduce the complexity of societal mental health into a quick fix. But it's worth noting, right, that while we try to find answers to all of life problems and we seek counseling on the latest books on the shelf or the next therapeutic method, all the while Isaiah gives us this Christ child and names him Wonderful Counselor. That has to mean something, right? You know, at the time when Isaiah wrote this, to to be named Counselor was essentially to be named King, which is great because we just got through our series on, on Solomon, right? And when we think of Counselor and Wisdom, we might think of Solomon. In fact, let me walk you back to 1 Kings 4, This would be a counselor. All the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth. They were all coming to hear his wisdom, his counsel. You know, in the original context of Isaiah, he was speaking to a people many years after Solomon who had found themselves uh, in complete disorientation. 
They were taken over by the Assyrian Empire. They were captives, lost, destitute, sitting in darkness and hopelessness. And look again at what Isaiah promises of this newborn king. He says, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep shadows, on them the light has shone. See, Isaiah wants us to see that this child born to us, he is our counselor and he is wonderful. In fact, Isaiah 28, 29, he says this almost verbatim. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. You tracking with me? See where I'm going with this? If the worst counsel that the world ever received was from this serpent, this enemy in the garden, and by that counsel we know things have never been at the same, then the most wonderful, incredible counsel we could ever receive, as one scholar said it, was Jesus Christ, who is our restoration. Just consider this. Let's just consider together. What is it then that makes his counsel so good? If you were to say to me, Ryan, I want to go to a good counselor, what should I look for? Here would be my response. First and foremost, my prayer is that that counselor would point you back to Christ. And here's why. Uh, Here's what makes Jesus' counsel better than anything we could ever have. Here's the first one. His counsel is more knowledgeable than any counsel on this earth. Just consider this. When you come to Christ, the wonderful counselor, he knows everything about you. He knows your innermost thoughts, your deepest wounds. He knows your most hidden secrets. You, You can't fool him. He knows yet exactly what you need. And in addition to that, his knowledge is timeless, right? He doesn't just know you. He he knows your family history. He knows generations before you. He knows your future. I mean, he's all in. And second, he's not only all-knowing, or not only all-knowing with infinite knowledge, he's also entirely good. Right, and if that's true, then that makes his counsel safer than any advisor on this planet. Again, just consider what it is to have wonderful counsel. His judgment is perfect. His redemption is certain. If he's wonderful, that means everything he gives you is for you. There is no bias but pure love. There's no agenda. No hidden fees. And here's one that I think is most important for our day. He's the only counselor I know who is 100% confidential. You know, in this world, I was told by a a professor in seminary years ago, and I stuck with me, he said, one of the greatest gifts you can give someone is confidentiality, not secrets. But when somebody comes to you asking for confidential counsel, it seems to me we live in a day and age where we all have one best friend who we can trust will tell nobody else, right? Right? But just play that pattern out. I tell my best friend who, knows, who won't tell anybody else and they tell their best friend who they're sure won't tell about anybody else and on down the line. Now we have this counselor who doesn't just listen but listens in confidence and doesn't just hold it but acts on it, forgives. So let me just take all this and get really practical. Let me just tie this up in a, in a bow for you. If that's what this manger is all about, if Christmas is about a wonderful counsel, then we should ask, how do we make sure, how do we ensure that his counsel will be what leads our lives rather than the counsel of the flesh that is ripe with error and costly sin? And here it is. Are you ready? We jumped it. You've got the answer right on the screens. To find wonderful counsel in your life, 
you have to be immersed with the wonderful counselor. That is the most obvious statement of all of Advent, and I'm sticking with it. I'm gonna say it again. To find wonderful counsel in your life, you have to be immersed with the wonderful counselor. I think I maybe shared before some of you uh, the story of a dying pastor, 50 some odd years old, or some odd years in, in ministry down in Houston. And he was on hospice dying, and we asked him collectively as pastors to give us his wisdom you know, what have you learned in all of your time serving the church in ministry? And I'll never forget, he took a deep, deep breath, pulled off his oxygen mask, and he said, if you lose Jesus, you're dead meat. That was it. All the funerals, all the weddings, all the, the worship services, all the counsel that this man had ever given, that's what it boiled down to. To find a wonderful counsel, you have to be immersed with the wonderful counselor. And here's what that looks like. Here, I've been throwing a lot of threes at you this morning. Let me close with three final things. I want you to look at three choices we need to make right now in order to dwell with this wonderful counselor. The first one is this. In a typical world, we need to choose wonder. Let me just parse that out. If you're in HR or insurance or running your own company, you know this is the season of choosing, right? A letter arrives in the mail and it asks you to tell, tell your employees all about health care. You want the bronze plan? You want the silver plan, the gold plan? Or do you want the platinum plan? These days we all know it. We're just blessed to have a plan. No, but when it comes to good counsel, right, we, we live in a world of thousands of options. We got life coaches and health trainers and consultants and nutritionists and podcast hosts and mommy blogs and support groups and investor prospectus. But in a world where you can have any typical advice, what you really need is the platinum plan, right? What your soul needs is not just typical counsel, but wonderful Counsel, set apart, holy, miraculous, omniscient, astounding, all-knowing counsel. Now Jesus says, if you come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. When you put your faith in me, you have the secure footing that is the salvation for your soul for eternity. How do we get wonderful counsel? One, choose wonder. Two, in a hurried culture, we choose to make time. You know, it's common practice in the world of therapy for sessions to last 45 to 50 minutes, right? And why is that? You ever wondered why that is? You know, the counselor needs time, right? They need time to process what you just dumped on them, to, to write notes, to use the facilities, to regroup before the next one comes. And typically, you also then wait a week before you see them again or maybe longer. But just consider this. With Christ, there is no limitation, just chew on that. This child born to us, God with us, he can listen to you all day. And you don't have to try to convince him to understand who you are. He already knows. He's limitless in his counsel. Which means the more that we make time for study in his word and in prayer and in worship, the more counsel we can expect to receive. In fact, look at this in Psalm 16 verses 7 through 9. David says it like this. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And the night, and the night, also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You know, it's interesting to me as you look at that passage, 
The scriptures tell us the heart can be deceitful above all things. And yet King David in this psalm is so immersed with the counsel of the Lord, he wakes up at night and his heart is speaking God's word to him. You know, this is a generation, I don't have to tell you, that will probably tomorrow use AI for just about every single kind of counsel under the sun. But hear me, there is no counsel like the one that comes from the wonderful counselor. The more that you meditate on his word, the the more that you memorize his thoughts and dwell with him, the more he has told us he will lead our path. Which then brings me to the last point, and that is, in a world filled with poor advice, we should choose wisely. You know, friends, the bottom line is we all have a shadow self that needs to be understood. We all have a lack of self-awareness that keeps us from seeing our blind spots. And of course, God gave us each other and, and wisdom through us to do that well. But hear me, when you seek counsel, whether it's from a friend or from a professional in any capacity, it is our responsibility to check that their counsel aligns with the Lord's counsel. Because we know it's only his counsel that is wonderful. And so as we step into this season of preparation, I remind you it was the wise men, some of the smartest men in the land who sought the counsel of this child. It was the angels, the most divine beings in the universe who announced his wonder. So this week my encouragement is that we would just let those two names of Jesus dwell with us. What does it mean that Jesus is our wonderful counselor? And let's ask God to change us by that name. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you uh, for the miracle of Christmas, for the spectacle, the wonder, the, uh, the unfathomable event that the same one who spoke of the stars and the space would come down in love for us. And we thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ we find wonderful counsel. That we have this almighty counselor who hears us, who speaks to us, who leads us. And God, we confess the times where we've tried to find answers in all the other ways but him. And we pray this morning, this day, this season, this year, Lord, that you would return our minds back to the one who was and is and is to come. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we have wonderful counsel because he is our wonderful counselor. God, may that change how we live today. In Jesus' name, amen.